where we've been. We started in the garden, right? The first lesson we talked about, you know, God's creation and the aim of creation was to glorify himself, bring glory to himself. And uh, we advanced from that to the first working with God last week. And this is the second part of that working with God in his creation and bringing glory to him. And for that, we're going to be in the book of Acts quite a bit. I've got a couple other scriptures, but I have them maybe up there. (laughs) If I don't, you'll just have to turn to them. But we're going to be in the book of Acts uh, 8 and 9, primarily, when we're talking about working with God here. God has already asked the question back there in the garden. He said, where are you? To Adam and Eve, where are you? And talked about reflecting on that question even for me today and for you today, when God says, where are you? He's, he's not just asking where I'm at because he knows where I'm at. He's really asking, where's my heart? Where's your heart? And he knows where that is too, but he's, he's asking me that to get me to think about it, get me to answer the question, where am I? To, to really consider, okay, so where am I? Where are you? Jesus asks us the same question. You can see him asking that in the Gospels over and over again. Didn't use those words exactly, but he's saying, where are you? When he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when he's talking to the disciples, where are you? I'm I'm looking hard for you. Open your heart to me. I'll come in, but you've got to open up to me. Here's the first couple of scriptures I want to bring to your attention. The first one here is from 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. It says there, who has saved us, or saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, Sounds kind of familiar to Ephesians there. He's called us not because of what we've done. And like Ephesians says, I'm saved not because of what I can do, but because of what God does for me, what Jesus did for me. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So our purpose, again, restated in a different way. What are we supposed to be doing with God? We're supposed to be working with him, supposed to be partnering with him, like we talked about last week, partnering with him and, and working together with God, bringing him glory, not because of what because we can just do such a great job for him, because I think, quite frankly, he could probably get anybody to fill my role or your role. We're not indispensable people. God could get anybody to do the work. He wants everybody to work with him, but he can get anybody to work with him. And I'm not indispensable. So... This is my purpose, to bring glory to him. Second scripture, 1 Peter 2.9. We've been there before in this scripture. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that what? What does it say? So we can do what? <laughs> yeah. I love the way you guys respond now. You, you responded a lot early, uh, earlier on, a lot better. You... you We've been struggling in this, been struggling in this area here. What are we supposed to be doing according to First Peter two nine? We may proclaim darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, <laughs> you guys are stubborn this morning. All right, no worries. We will move on without your cooperation. For those of you who don't want to cooperate, it's okay. He gives us a purpose here. We talked about that last week. He's, he's saying this is a purpose for you. And did anybody go through, like I, I said, you know, go through the week and look at First Peter 2 and see those three sections in First Peter 2? Anybody do that? Well, at least you guys are consistent. Okay. Let's just close up. This sermon is, is canceled due to lack of interest. So let's, let's just move on. No, I'm just kidding. 
stoplights. There you go. Yeah, let's just go to eat. <laughs> I smell the food too. That's always a distraction on the first and third Sunday. Mm, it's a good distraction, but it's a distraction for me. No, that's okay. I understand. I mean, we, we, I don't do everything I, I should do either during the week. I, Okay. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> they're, le- they're letting me know that they weren't here, so they're, yeah, they've got their teacher's note or their excuse. I got it. No worries. But we we're looking at First Peter 2, and, and he talks about our purpose here. We, we've been called for a purpose. God called us for a reason. He wants everybody to proclaim his excellencies, but not everybody's going to. But for those who have who've chosen to be... Uh, Immersed into his son to have their sins washed away. This is, these are the people that we're supposed to be. People that proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light there. And so when we're thinking about working with God, our identity, like we talked about a little bit about last week, our identity is, is not just me. It's, it's my identity I get from God and in Christ. That's my real identity. The identity I have in the world is, is a temporary one, just like the body is a temporary shell. But the eternal thing is, is what God is trying to work on. The eternal thing is what we're partnering with him in. And I want to ask you again the question, what do you, how do you identify with yourself today? Um, a lot of times, and I know in my past, I've identified myself more as an American Christian rather than just Christian. I'm American. That's, that's a good thing to be. But that's not my real identity. The real identity is, is a Christian, is a Christ-like person, or should be a Christ-like person. That's the real identity. You know, so many times we talk about Christianity as, as something that we do part-time or go to part-time. I read a book years ago, and I've reread it. I like it. It's called Radical Restoration. Effligard Smith wrote it. And one of his quotes really, really stood out for me there about a Christian. Christians should not be known by or known for what they demonstrate against but for the radically changed lives which they demonstrate. I don't, I don't mind getting involved in things in this country, and I, I, I want to get involved, but ultimately when it comes right down to it, it's probably not going to be elections or voting or things like that that's really going to change hearts and minds. It's going to be Christ changing hearts, which will change the mind, but it's not going to be the other way around. I like that quote because it, again, defines my purpose here. I'm not here just to be an American. I'm not here just to be a guy that works nine to five and makes money. I'm here to be a called out son that is going to live a radically different life. And that's going to demonstrate who I am. And hopefully we'll shed light to people I come in contact with. And that's kind of where we're going to look in Acts 8 and 9 here. There's a man in Acts 8 that, that fits that bill. And there's a man in Acts 9 that fits that bill. We're going to go to Acts 9 first, and then work back to 8. I'm going to talk about Ananias here, not Paul, but Ananias. This guy's starting in verse 10. After Paul goes through what he goes through, and it is heading towards Ananias. There's a certain disciple, the Scripture says in verse 10, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision... Ananias, and he said, Behold, I, Lord, or here am I. Sounds kind of familiar to another part of our scripture where you hear, Here am I, send me. Ananias seems to be ready to be used. 
God's calling him because he seems to be ready to be used. And Ananias is saying, okay, I'm ready to be used, but not so fast either, because then he hears what God wants him to do. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. So there's a little bit of, yeah, hesitation, a little bit of, wait a minute, God. Wait a second here, have you clearly thought this through? And God, of course, has clearly thought that through. It's Ananias who's going to struggle with it. For a brief second, though, he doesn't seem to struggle with it for very long because God says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed, entered the house. And he goes there, and you know the rest of the story there. He, he goes and does what God said. But What's interesting is that Ananias, and I don't know much about him other than this, and then Paul retelling the account later on, I don't know really much about his life here. But he has a vision, he has an, he's open to God's leading, he's ready to be used by God, even though the initial reaction to what God is asking him to do is not, you know, I, I need to make sure you're okay with this, God, you really know who this guy is, as if God doesn't know. But how many times have we done the same thing with God? You know, do you really do you really know what you're doing? You really know, and, and a lot of times I say that just by my actions. Do you really know what you're doing, God? It's kind of the same question that they asked in the garden. Do you really know what you're doing? Is it really that bad? But this time, Ananias gets the question gets the question right. He's ready to be used. But so many times I'm stuck in my own version of what God wants, and I don't really. Let him use me like he should, or like he wants to. But I think I think I know what he should be doing. I think I know how I should take uh, take care of it. I think I know how it should go. And and when I argue with God and I say, "But do you know who this guy is?" The argument ends with me saying, "Maybe maybe we should take some time to think about that. Maybe we should just put that on the back burner, God, and we'll, we'll deal with it later." Ananias instead goes straight out there, and that's where you get to Ephesians two ten, where it says what? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, a long time ago, for us to walk in, to do. We are created in Him for good things to be done, to do good works. We don't work to be saved, but we work because we're saved. Just like you don't have faith in the law, you have faith in Him. The law is not going to save you. My works aren't going to save me. It's Christ Jesus that's going to save me. He's the one that's changed me. He's the one that has created me. He's the one that has works set apart for me to do, just like Ananias has something set apart for him to do. Paul, later on, when he's retelling stories, says, God had this planned out beforehand, too. He's got work for Paul to do. He's got work for me and you to do. And I want to look at working again from chapter 8 of Acts, working with God here. And here's where I want to give you something to... Hopefully, remember it by. I'm going to start with R. First thing we need to be ready to do is ready to obey. You see that in Ananias, and you see that in Paul. You see that in, in 
hopefully in your life, that I'm ready to obey. When God says do, I'm ready to obey. One of the scriptures that I like to look at in this is Matthew 8.10. Got it up there on the screen if you don't have it. But Jesus is hearing about this faith, and he marvels, and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I, I like the part where Jesus marveled. Where he's, he's, he's marveling at this faith that he sees. Wow. I'm, I'm, you, you, you've made the Creator marvel at you. At your faith. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that kind of faith that, that Jesus marvels here. And there, there's small steps to be taken. And, and in, the, in Acts 8, we see the small steps where you get this kind of faith that, that I marvel at this guy's faith. Acts chapter 8, let's start in verse 26. Here we're going to be talking about Philip, another man that is ready and willing to be used for God's purpose. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he rose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Right there you see another person that is being called, and Philip doesn't say, I, I, got, a lot of, I, I got a lot of work that I'm doing right now. Because look, look above, what, what's happening right above that? People are being saved left and right. And, and see, the, the persecution breaks out, and then... Uh, verse 14, the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John because Stephen had been down there preaching and teaching. Or Stephen, Philip had been down there preaching and teaching. And in verses 9 through 13, you see that, that preaching and teaching that is, that is yielding some big benefits. Even Simon, the sorcerer, is, is, is amazed by this and wants in. Of course, he wants in for the wrong purposes, but it's, it's catching his attention. Philip is doing a great work here, and God says, okay, stop this great work and go somewhere else. Philip is ready to go start the great work. He's ready to preach and teach here, but he's also ready to say, okay, this, this work, I guess, is done. You're done with me here. I need to move on to something else. And he doesn't complain and say, you see how good we're doing here? You see what kind of impact I'm having here? Don't move me on. Yeah, verse 4, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria, began proclaiming Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. Verse 6, As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Boy, all of that stuff, that, that good, solid work. How do you ask a preacher to move on when he's got a great work going? You usually don't want to move on when you've got a great thing going. But here, Philip has got a great thing going, and what does God tell him? Stop doing that and go do this. Walk down that desert road that you don't know anything about right now, and, and he doesn't even tell him exactly why, does he? At least not here. He just says, arise and go. He says, arise and go. And Philip, I, I kind of imagine Philip just hanging out here waiting for that next message. For that next text from God saying, go, go, go get that guy. But I, I wonder sometimes what Philip is doing. He's going, but he doesn't know what he's going to encounter yet. But he's willing and ready to go. He's ready to obey. 
That's the first part of, of being in a partnership and working with God. I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to go. When God whispers in your ear, I need you to get up and go to this, this road. I need, to, I need you to get up and do this. Not complaining, just going. Running to that thing. So the second part of that, after the ready to obey, starts with you. And that is understanding that God is active and alive. I understand that God is active and alive. He's moving. He's, he's doing things. He's still doing things. Jesus is active and alive. He's still working. He's still with us. He's still doing things. And because he's active and alive, it requires me and you to be active and alive too. To not be bumps on a log doing nothing, but to get up when he says get up and go to this street. Get up and go to this part of the desert that we get up and we go. We're active because he's active. He's We're ready to obey. And he's active. Does anybody remember that that show there, Undercover Boss? I don't. Is it still on? I don't think it's still on. Is it? I don't know. I didn't ask the TV. <laughs> I wonder if that's my device trying to connect with it. Uh, anyway, this Undercover Boss show. I, I remember watching some of them, and it was kind of cool. It's always interesting to see how people act when their boss is there, but they don't know it's their boss. And I, Enough out of you. Um, and, and sometimes they're complaining. Sometimes they're not complaining. It's, just, it's interesting. What if, what if our boss was here right now? And he is. But what if he was in physical form sitting down right next to you? Jesus was sitting on the pew with you. How much different would we be right now? He could probably fix all of our electrical problems easy. That'd be nice to have him do. But, I mean, just, just imagining that, that he is active and alive and, and, and envisioning that he is, he is with me every single day. Jesus is with me every day. It's not a distant relationship here. He is right with me, working with me. And, and miracles are happening all over the place here. And I, I want to look at some of the minor miracles, I guess, minor miracles, simply because it's not Philip working a miracle here. But have you ever considered that the timing of all of this, God has got the timing down right. He knows when he needs Philip to, Philip to go to this place. He knows when the Ethiopian eunuch is going to pass so that he can send him to the Ethiopian eunuch. He knows that the Ethiopian eunuch is going to be reading a certain part of Scripture that's getting his mind to the place where his heart needs to be to, to ask the question, can you explain this to me? And then God has got the water ready for him as well on this road. I mean, all these things happening is an active and alive God that is working right there. But that active and alive God that you see here in chapter 8 of Acts is no different than the active and alive God we have today. That we could be doing the exact same thing, working with him. He's working behind the scenes. He is working behind the scenes all the time to do these kinds of things. I don't see them, and a lot of times we see them right in, in hindsight. Oh, that lined up, this lined up, and that lined up. That's amazing. And you see God working. Here we see that again in hindsight. We see God working and using Philip and directing the Ethiopian eunuch, and getting all of these together. And who worked with the Ethiopian eunuch before he showed up? 
Who worked with him before? I mean, this was a, a long process that God had going on. We need to be ready to obey. And we're ready and we're obeying a God that is active and alive in our world today. That he's not leaving things up to chance. That we don't have to think, uh, I've got to wait for the instructions here. It, it's, you know, it's the distance between me and God. It's, it's so great. He's, he's probably working way out there. No, he's right here. He's working with me. He's working with you in the real time. In real time. That's, that's working with God. That's being ready to work with God. We're ready to obey. We're understanding that he's alive and active and he's ready to work with us when we're working with him. The last one is in. And that is now as part of my vocabulary. Now. Right now. You notice Ananias. A small objection, but then he gets up and he goes. Philip, now. Go do this. I want you to do this right now. Now, I understand that not always now is now. But being ready to be used by God is something that we should always have a now attitude about. It might happen years down the road, but he might be setting things up. But am I now, right now, is working with God setting things up years down the road. I don't know where I'll be. I don't know where you'll be in two or three years. But God is working now in our lives to get us ready for the next step, if we're willing to work with him. Go over to Acts chapter 17, since you're already in Acts, and look at some of the, the way that God directs my life, your life, everybody's life, really. This is one of those scriptures that, I have it up on the screen too, I forgot I put it in there, but this is one of those scriptures that, that let us know that He's got everything in control. He's got everything in His hands. And He made from one man, every nation of mankind, to live all all the face, on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. God's already got things laid out. We think we're the high and mighty boss of this world, but God has already got things laid out. He's already taken care of things. He's already set the boundaries for things. He's the one in charge. So now is a part of my vocabulary because he's active and alive and because I'm ready to obey. Now is the time to obey. Like the Hebrew writer stresses, now is the time. Now is the time. Don't wait. Now is the time to give your life to God. Now is the time to give your heart to Christ. Don't wait. Now is the time to work with Him. Acts 8.35 Philip opened his mouth and began doing what? Preaching Jesus to him. Because of everything that God was doing behind the scenes, Philip has the opportunity in verse 35 to open his mouth and start preaching Jesus to him. You ever wonder if the Ethiopian... Because I like the way the, at least my version reads here. Um, in verse 29, the Spirit tells Philip, go up and join the chariot. Philip runs up, and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading. But he, it, it, obviously he's going he, he's gonna to hear it for a little while. So he's running alongside the, the chariot here. I often wonder if the Ethiopian eunuch looks over and wonders, who is this guy? What is he doing running alongside my... <laughs> what are you doing over here? What are you doing? And that's when he has the opportunity to say, do you understand what you're reading? Which leads him to verse 35, preaching Jesus to him because of all those, those quote-unquote minor miracles before that God is working and active and alive in our, in our world. Philip has the opportunity to do that, preach Jesus to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch sees the gospel message and says, why not just do that now? Why not just get immersed now? If, if I've got an opportunity to do it now, let's do it now. And Philip says, yeah, let's do it. 
and they immerse him. And he goes on rejoicing. Philip found himself at Zotus. An amazing end to that story, too. Where did he come from? Ethiopian eunuch, who, did, who, who taught him beforehand? Who knows? How did all these events line up? God. Because Philip was ready to be used, and because he ran. That run there, the, the run part of this, is not an accident. This is, this is the running part of our, our race, if you will. We're called to run this race as in, in our Christian life. We are running because we're ready to obey. We understand that God's alive and active, and now is, now is in our vocabulary. Now is the time to do it. Now is the time to run because we don't get a second chance to run. You got one race to run, race to run. It's hard to say. One race to run. So run that race with the fervor that Paul admonishes us to run that race in Corinthians. Run that race. Always. It's it's a race until our death. We're going to race till we die. We're going to run till we die. Because we're ready to obey. Because we understand that our God is alive and active. And he's working right now. And because now is a part of our vocabulary. You see that even in Jesus' life. He was ready to obey the Father. He understood that God was alive and active, and now was in his vocabulary. We need to do this now. We need to do it in the day to, you know, while you have daylight. We need to do it now. This is an important thing. Working with God is important. Working with Jesus is important. This running this race is important. Which leads me to ask you this final question here. If I can get to it. What is going to be your, your desert? Where is God going to send you this week? What's your desert road? What's your street called straight? Where is he sending you? Sending you to Centralia. Okay. He's sending her to Centralia. Let's see what happens with Centralia. Because she's ready to obey. You understand that God's alive and active. And now is a part of your vocabulary. You're ready to run to Centralia. I don't know where your desert road is. I don't know where your, your street called straight is. It could be anywhere. It could be anything. Well, wherever it is, we need to run. I want you to run this week. I want you to show people a, a person that's ready to obey, a person that understands God's active, and a person that says, now is the time. Now is the time to show you who I am. Now is the time to show you my Jesus. Open your heart and listen to that message. Do that this week as we stand and as we sing.